Hello, welcome. You're listening to Seasons 1 of Narcolepsy Navigators, brought to you by Naps for Life Narcolepsy. Narcolepsy Navigators is a podcast for raising awareness of this fascinating illness through a deep dive into the lives and individuals living with narcolepsy and idiopathic hypersomnia. I am Kerry Boga, the founder of Naps for Life Narcolepsy, and welcome to our stories. Hello and welcome to the podcast episode with Carolee and Liz. Um, today we're going to be talking about Carolee's journey with her narcolepsy. Hello Carolee. Hi Liz, how are you? I'm good, how are you doing? I'm good. Good. How was your Christmas break and how did you find it managing narcolepsy and catalepsy over the festive period? Christmas was good, it was nice to be with family and get a break from just being by yourself. But this year I had many cataplexy attacks, much more than usual. Mm. And a lot of sleep attacks, much more than last year. So that was very interesting. And yeah. I'm not sure why, because usually it's my sister, which is very funny, that triggers all my cataplexy. Uh. But I was la- I was having more cataplexy, not just for laughing, for other symptoms, other symptoms emotions was, yes mm. for other emotions which was um very strange to me yeah interesting and do you know like what other emotions were causing it frustration mm. yeah often felt around family yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah frustration it was just so many and it wasn't that funny so yeah your yeah. family aren't that funny shouldn't have had that many yeah and my sister wasn't like ripping it like she usually does yeah so I don't know why I was having so many and just like we were watching Elf and then I had a catapetsy that led into a sleep attack oh no that led into paralysis yeah and then when I came back I don't even know how much of the film I saw because mm. I was just like going back into sleep attacks it was, it was very strange yeah I think a lot of people can relate that I mean I as well slept through a lot of Christmas films so <laughs> I rarely saw the ending yeah. to uh, many of those okay so you yeah you had a lot of sleep over Christmas yeah um and I think we were saying I was saying to you earlier as well I had a similar experience where I was napping probably twice as much as I usually do when I'm working, yeah. um, even though I was taking my medication. So I don't know if it's just something to do with being more in a more relaxed environment and, yeah, my body taking um, advantage of the break or something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, so, yeah, I can relate to that. Like, it almost like the body knows that you don't have to go to college, you don't have to go to work. So it's like, oh, why... Why not rest? Yeah, why not sleep through the whole day? <laughs> it is frustrating at times, though, because I find it difficult to work out if the naps are helping me or if actually sleeping that much is making me more lethargic and oh, more okay. tired. Yeah, and I don't know the answer to that no. either. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to work out, and it's so individual my, as well. My mum would probably say that it is making you more sleepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't know. It's so hard to resist, though, when you're just snuggled up under a blanket yeah. and you're watching a film and you feel that... The sleep haze coming on, and you're like, you know what? I'm just gonna let it happen. Yeah, there's no need to fight. <laughs> exactly. So, can you tell us a bit more about your journey with narcolepsy? So, when I was 15 years old, I was in high school in year 10, 
I started to fall asleep in in some of my classes and I used to do I used to do a lot of sports and stuff like that and I just felt more tired when I do the sports and when I come home from from school I'd still do my homework but then I would fall asleep after I do my homework or during the time when I was doing my homework I'd fall asleep it was a bit strange mm-hmm. um but I didn't really think that much of it at the time and the doctors told my parents that I had I was anemic and this is why you know it was happening so yeah they had me on um iron tablets and stuff mm-hmm. and that should like fix that you know in due time yeah and then I started um having catapexy and at the time I didn't know what it was and it was being triggered by laughter and my very first catapexy that I can remember was like my sister was like I must have been ironing and then I finished ironing my clothes and then I my sister took the iron when it was like you know after you iron you leave the iron to cool before you wrap the cord because you're supposed to wrap the cord until the iron cools yeah so the iron was waiting to cool down and then she picked the iron up when it was probably like almost cool or whatever and started chasing me around the house with the iron and then I just I was running away and then I fell I laughed and just like fell to the floor that's like my first memory of 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 catapexy yeah and so this stuff like this kept happening and so they were just still oh they're so funny that's why I would fall down like you know when people laugh so much that their Mm -hmm. stomach hurts and and your knees go weak and so that's what they thought was and but it just kept happening and so then when we talked to the doctors they were like oh she's having panic attacks Mm -hmm. because it would happen at school like there was a ledge that I used to sit on near the near the drama room and um, I'm only five foot four so I'm quite short and back then I was very slim Mm -hmm. and you just sit on the ledge and then my legs would like hang off and I remember like boys in the older years they would like go past and then like pull on your legs yeah and then I would like have have catapexy yeah and then my friends would have to come quickly to hold me up so that kept happening and then they we talked to the doctor and they're like oh you need to tell people at school to stop doing things like that Mm -hmm. because she's having panic attacks Mm. this is what's happening and just don't put yourself in situations where people can make you panic that's why these things are happening yeah and did you think at the time it was panic attacks or did that not feel like the right explanation for you for the panic attack i guess i was just like yeah when someone scares you mm. then okay fair enough so yeah you just kind of accept it and we're like yeah okay well you'll trust their judgment sort yeah of thing. yeah yeah wow so when you were at school and you started falling asleep did it affect your grades at all or did you manage to get by I managed to get by it didn't really affect my grades because it was which was good and when I did my GCSEs I just like did my all my exams and then I'd just redo them twice and then I would sleep the rest of the exam. Mm. And so people would like find this very strange and you'd see like other students like near you and they would like go like trying to like wake you or whatever. I like, what are you doing? Like, you know, it's an exam, you can't be sleeping. Like, have you read through the, you know, have you done the exam? Are you ready to finish? And they're like, no, is that possible that you're finished? And they'd say like things like that. Yeah. But I had, it's not, it wasn't cheating or anything. I literally had finished. Yeah. And then now I was tired and I just needed to nap. And I napped. And I remember being allowed to bring water in. Ah, okay. I don't know why, but I had requested that I was to bring water in and they allowed me. And, um, 
and that used to annoy some of the other students as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was it. And but I was fine. And I just snapped at the end and I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. And then when I moved to college, so like say that's the summer, and everything's sort of okay, sort of dealing with it. Oh yeah, I used to walk to school. It was like forty five minutes walk to school, and forty five minutes walk back home. But by the time I reached year eleven, it had become too much to do it, so I had okay. to start taking the bus. Yeah. I was just feeling too tired mm. from the walk. And so then there was such a, um, so that's when we started to know like something is up. It's mm-hmm. not just the panic attacks and the thing. Yeah. And they sent me to see a psychiatrist because they thought it was in my head. I was making it up. Oh, wow. And we went for a couple of sessions and the mum was like, no, we're not going back. Um, they're asking you stuff about your childhood. Mm. Uh, it's like trying to figure out if you were abused or things like that. And yeah. trying to put things in your head. And none of these things happen. And none of these mm-hmm. things are relevant to whether someone is why someone is sleeping all the time in classes. Yeah. It makes sense. So both my parents are teachers. Mm-hmm. So that sort of helped in, in a way in that it wasn't like a, a teacher from school saying to a parent that wasn't a teacher, oh, your child is doing this in class or whatever. They also a teacher, so they mm-hmm. would be like, okay, if a if a teacher's come to them complaining about a student that is sleeping in class, it must be a certain amount of sleep. It can't just be like a small thing. Or yeah. They wouldn't have brought it into attention. Like, it's not just a one off. Yeah, exactly, because they wouldn't have complained to a parent either, unless it had been so much that they thought it was going to affect the child's learning. Or yeah, something like yeah. So that's what happened. <gasps> And then we went to college. And then, strangely, in that period, like, from summer to September when we started college, it just seemed to have just rapidly got worse. Mm. Because I hit college and it was just like, what happened in those few months? It was just like a completely different thing. Yeah. And And what did that look like for you? I probably picked the worst subjects in the world to be doing when you haven't been diagnosed with um, an illness and you're having these things. I was doing maths retake because I didn't pass maths so right. yeah I passed all my other subjects but I didn't pass maths mm-hmm. and I didn't pass geography and I took 11 subjects and I passed everything else yeah <clears throat> so I had to retake maths because if you don't pass maths you have to retake it mm-hmm. I had to retake maths I was doing piano outside of, of as an extracurricular yeah and I took law I took sociology and English literature wow like very heavy subject yeah all A levels like the worst combination of well yeah like books books mm-hmm. and books yeah oh no so my English teacher she just like hated me for the most like you know how dare you come to class and sleep through the lessons mm-hmm. and then you're given homework and you don't read all the chapters that you're supposed to read and then come back to class the next day and sleep again. Like, yeah. It was really irritating. I could tell it was irritating them. And because at that point, they probably think you're just going out too much or not getting enough sleep by choice or being yeah. rude. Yeah. Being lazy or why did you even pick these subjects in the first place if you knew or you thought they were boring? Yeah. But this was not the case. And um, so. I, I did my classes and I was fine to do the homework and hand the, hand the assignments in and I was getting good grades on the assignments once I handed them in. But definitely English literature, keeping up with the reading was torturous. Yeah. Law was fine. I managed to keep up with law. Um, and sociology, I just I was still able to keep up with those and hand in my assignments and mm. stuff. The problem is, is that because I slept through so much of the classes, the teachers start to get really concerned, especially my sociology teacher, about exams. Mm-hmm. 
because then when I started to do exams, I would sleep through the exams on like wow. on like in high school yeah. where I could do the exam and sleep after. Mm-hmm. It had got to a point where I couldn't control the narcolepsy at all. Yeah. And so I would sleep in the exams. Like I'd start the exams, I'd start writing and then I would fall asleep and then no one would wake me. So mm-hmm. then I would sleep through the exam and then I wouldn't have passed the exam because I didn't even write hardly anything. Yeah. And did you come up with any strategies at that point to just try and keep yourself awake, even if they weren't helpful at all, you know, just to get by? I started going to gym and, you know, to try to boost energy and yeah. blood circulation in my brain. And, um, no, that wasn't helpful either. <laughs> if only the gym could have solved narcolepsy, <laughs> yeah, that would be great. <laughs> so that didn't really help, but I did try it. And, um and you know nothing else I just kept pushing myself because I thought I didn't know what was happening Mm. but I just thought I would be able to push through it because I remember my dad saying to me okay you know we don't know what's happening with you but you don't have to finish these courses you can just you can just quit them yeah and then we can you can go back and do something else later Mm -hmm. you know once we figure out what's happening yeah but I am not a quitter I hate to quit things so I was just like I'd rather it's a very bad trait to like force yourself to push through something even when you're dying mm. and I was like really suffering and it's still even my parent teacher was just like you don't you're not practicing enough or whatever yeah and that's like but you know I thought that it was when I think back now I think even with someone without narcolepsy three A levels those particular ones plus piano plus maths mm-hmm. is a lot definitely so A levels for anyone is very challenging particularly at that age because I guess it's the first time that you're faced with that much information and that many exams and in that level of detail yeah and so just then my maths teacher she her husband gave her an article of someone who had narcolepsy who was a teacher and she had to quit a job and she gave it to me and she said my husband found this and he said please take this to your doctor. If this doesn't help you, I don't know what will. Mm-hmm. And I took it to my doctor and then within a month, we got an appointment to see a sleep specialist. Yeah. And when we went to the sleep specialist, I, he asked me like, what are your symptoms? What's happening with you? Mm-hmm. And I just said, I'm having muscle control, weakness, mm-hmm. you know, every time when I laugh, I fall to the floor and I'm sleeping all the time and through all my classes and everything. And he said to me, do you have narcolepsy? And it's in there five minutes. Yeah. Wow. Five, yeah, five minutes. And he's like, yeah, you have narcolepsy. And we're just in shock because, mm. one, there was no Google at this time. Mm-hmm. So there's no It was back to, in the day. Yeah, back in the day. <laughs> so there was nowhere to do research and things like that. You'd have to go to the library or, you know. I think they had, what was the one of the first search engines thing that they had? Oh, my gosh. Um, was it Yahoo? Yeah. Even before Yahoo, there was another one. <clears throat> I can't remember the name, but yeah, it was, it was one that was before you, and that's all they had at the mm. time. And I said, we didn't know anything about what is nothing, what is this thing, and he gave us like a little sheet of paper, and like a little leaflet, that, yeah, like back and front, like probably talked about it. And it had a reference to Narcolepsy UK, and then we contacted them, and they have produced a A4 piece of paper booklet that was probably like three pages long or something mm-hmm. that came out like every three months or 
Yeah, something like that. Wow, so that's all the information that you have to go on, really. Yeah. And it's just like, wow. And so I, I got the impression, and then he's like, you have to say that you have tests and everything, but I know that you have it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 100%, it's textbook, not epilepsy. Yeah. It's very textbook. And I'm surprised you weren't diagnosed sooner. Mm-hmm. This is crazy that it's taken this long. Mm-hmm. And so there's three years um, of before I got my diagnosis, but it came two weeks before filing exams. Okay. So it was handy in that respect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did get my extra time. Oh, uh, good. It, even though I couldn't take my sociology exam because the teacher refused to send me for exams. Hey, right. He dropped me from the class mm. and I just refused to accept it. So I just continued to attend. Mm-hmm. Good for you. <laughs> so he was like, yeah, I don't know why you're coming because you're not going to take the exams. I'm like, I already spent so much of the year mm. doing the, the class. I might as well finish it. Mm-hmm. So I just used to still attend the class, but I couldn't take the exam. But English literature and law didn't allow me to take the exams. Yeah. And so I took them. <clears throat> I passed English literature. And I passed law, but I, with low grades, mm-hmm. but I passed. Yeah, and maths, I went up a grade, which was nice. Oh, so I went from good. an E to a D, so, so that Very was fine good. for me. Yeah, and I didn't have sociology, and I didn't, and I had to drop piano. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot when you're a teenager and you're going, you have all the hormonal fluctuations of a teenager, and you have narcolepsy symptoms as well, not knowing what that is, and then having a diagnosis. Did you find that affected your mental health at all or how were you kind of feeling in yourself at that point i was happy when i was diagnosed because like at church like they would say people they have this sort of like jamaican joke thing about this thing called dropsy and i think that basically dropsy is narcolepsy is what they caused narcolepsy in jamaica back in the day and they didn't know what it was yeah so they made up their own name for it and called it dropsy dropsy i mean it's quite accurate isn't yeah, it? Like... It is, yeah. <laughs> and so people will say stuff like that oh she's got dropsy or whatever so i was quite happy to get diagnosed so then i would say no i don't have dropsy i have narcolepsy it's a serious thing or mm-hmm. whatever you know because they saw dropsy as some type of joke or like yeah. oh my uncle has it or whatever mm-hmm. you know just like nodding off at the table after too many sherries or yeah whatever. yeah or eating too much food or whatever and they just saw that as like normal and it's like no that's not what it's about mm-hmm. it's much more complicated than that and so it made me feel validated so yeah. I didn't really care if people said negative things because I'm like I would, I would just be like I have narcolepsy mm-hmm. yeah that was like my comeback yeah <laughs> so I like I knew that it was like a proper thing because I had to go to the hospital there to catch things in my brain like it's serious it's yeah. not like a joke so yeah so whenever people say I'll be like yeah you can say what you like it's not I this is neurological, it's mm-hmm. happening inside of my brain. It's not, I'm not making it up. It's not a mental thing. This is real. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you find the acceptance from your family and friends? Did they understand your condition or did it take a bit of time to help them understand what it was really like for you? Well, thankfully, my family was very supportive, <clears throat> even dad, because more when before the diagnosis i felt that mum was the one that was more pushing that really felt something was wrong with me and i didn't feel like dad was like i don't think dad really believed that something was wrong with me mm-hmm. but once i got my do- diagnosis he came on board 100 percent. yeah yeah so that helped once you had the actual yeah the printed diagnosis yeah. you were like see yeah. it's there yeah. it's on paper yeah and my sisters yeah they were fine and um my friends yeah sort of bit by bit sort of how can they help what can they do you know knowing that 
you don't have to wake me every time I'm asleep. Mm. Like, if I didn't show, you have to pop me every time. Like, yeah, like things like that. Yeah, just yeah. let you sleep. Yeah. And did you start medication straight away? Yes, I started medication straight away. I was on armadacnil and 100, 100 grams. And how I understood it, I was just like, oh, you get, you take your medication and it just makes you normal. Mm-hmm. That was my understanding of it. And as long as you take your medication, you you know, you can just sort of function as as is. Yeah, as life was before. Before, but that wasn't the case. But that's how I understood it in my head. Yeah. So like every time, it was when it was working at the beginning, I would feel like my old self, to the most part, and um. I'd still have to take my naps as I was instructed to take my naps. So I took my naps twice a day and um, I took my medication and I functioned quite fine. And then maybe after like six months or so, then I'd find it wasn't as effective. Mm. And then they'd have to up my dose. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to be like a continuous pattern of me feeling really good and functioning great. And then after several months or a year, then... I need an up dose again, and that continued. Yeah. So by the time I started to have stomach aches and feel unwell from the modafinil, I was on it from I was 18 till I was in my 20s, late 20s. And what dose were you on at that point? By the time I stopped taking modafinil, I was on 800. Wow, that's a high dose. Yeah. And was that enough to keep you awake and functioning throughout the day? With my with my naps, yes. Mm. Yeah, but, but you were having side effects and things. Yeah, I was having side effects, and it's it was quite interesting because it was like, imagine at eighteen I started at hundred. Yeah. And I've gone all the way up to eight hundred. It's a lot. Yeah. Difference. Yeah. That is a big jump. I think the maximum dose I got to was four hundred milligrams, um, a day. But I also had to come off modafinil because of the side effects like it was just making me feel quite like low mood and I was getting lots of stomach aches and I was hungry all the time as well yeah. um did you get the same or? I don't remember being hungry but I do remember the stomach aches were really bad mm. and I already had uh, not so long after that diagnosis I ended up with IBS oh no so then having extra stomach ache wasn't really helpful and that summer we spent so much of the summer in hospital mm-hmm. trying to figure out why my stomach was hurting me so much yeah and then finally one of the ER doctors was like I think it's the medication that she's mm-hmm. on let's take her off it yeah and then the stomach aches went away oh wow and then realized that's what it was yeah and did you go on to another medication after that or did you have a period of time without no they put me on something straight away oh okay yeah so fast forwarding to now how are you finding it managing narcolepsy are you taking medication or um yeah are you managing without it so i recently two years ago um my blood pressure raised quite high so they thought i was gonna have a stroke so they took me off my stimulant Mm -hmm. which was very scary for my body because being on stimulants from 18 years old until I'm 40 now so until 38 yeah. it's a long time to be on stimulants mm-hmm. and then they didn't titrate me off they took me off cold turkey mm. and my body was like what are you doing you evil person this is horrible oh, and no. I was sleeping like 12 hours a day mm-hmm. for months wow and I had to go to Kenya to recuperate with my 
my dad lives in the countryside in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to go there and recuperate. And I was there for six weeks. And mum was like, I was like a baby. I'll just eat and sleep, eat and sleep, eat and sleep, eat and sleep. And I sleep and I wake up and I'll be hungry, hungry. Yeah. And I'd eat and then I'd want to go back to bed. Aww. Yeah, it was just crazy. And I just like snap at people like mm. suddenly, like really like very weird, like snaps all over the place. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't take a lot to like get me like really upset. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I guess when you're so tired and you're not, the narcolepsy symptoms aren't being managed, it's very hard to regulate your emotions as well on top of that. Yeah, definitely. I become very irritable when I'm tired, as most people who are close to me know. <laughs> I say to people, if you if, imagine if you weren't getting sleep, it does make you irritable. Mm. You just can't help it because your your body can't function properly. You can't think straight. You don't have patience for anything at, yeah. at that level, and that's that's why that that level of sleep deprivation it causes that yeah definitely yeah don't know about you as well but I find when I start getting really tired um even when I am taking my medication I find it's I start getting a lot of negative thinking patterns and it's really hard for me to stay positive and I start um yeah just thinking like negative thoughts or getting more anxious and I feel like it's because my brain is so tired it just can't keep those at bay anymore Mm. um so I start thinking you know the rose tinted glasses come off and everything seems like so bleak and yeah I'm like right I just need to have a nap or go to sleep and hopefully I'll feel better afterwards yeah and usually they do yeah yeah Yeah. and then you wake up and you're like oh well yeah I'm sorry about earlier yes exactly (laughs) I was a bit grumpy (laughs) feel better now so you've decided to set up a podcast and you're doing some other work um, with your Naps for Life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what inspired you to do all of that? So um, with Naps for Life, um, it's been three years now that I've been running Naps for Life as a peer-to-peer support group on Facebook. And it's, it's like Zoom meetings and <clears throat> allows people to just come and be themselves, be around other people who have narcolepsy and just like then share their stories, what's happened in their week, their life. Talk about narcolepsy or not talk about narcolepsy. You know, it depends, you know, some people talking about it, how their week has been and what different ways narcolepsy has affected their week, that helps them. And some people not talking about anything to do with narcolepsy mm-hmm. helps them as well. Yeah. So it's open for both and um everyone around the, anyone around the world can can come on and join and um, I've met such amazing people from it and all walks of life and stories people were, I would have never met otherwise so from that I thought to myself there are a lot of people who who come on who also don't come on the zoom they just talk in the chat mm-hmm. and and maybe they don't want to come on because they don't want to show their face because when I started Naps for Life, I started in COVID, mm-hmm. and there were some trolls or some like negative people because you know Zoom wasn't that popular before, yeah. and COVID made Zoom really popular. Mm-hmm. There was like some like predator people who used to try to join, oh, right. yeah, join people's um Zooms and stuff. Oh. And so because of that, I made the policy that people had to put the cameras on because then you couldn't have a predator on and not mm-hmm. know who they were and things yeah. like that. So, wow, they must they really need to get a lot of people who do that. I know. <laughs> just joining other people's Zooms just to troll them. Yeah. So I had to do it in a way where I couldn't post the Zoom links like publicly. Mm-hmm. You had to be a part of the 
you had to be part of the page you had to like answer questions in order to join the page Mm -hmm. to have access to that side so that we wouldn't have like we need to filter out like the weird people yeah yeah so so we did that that led so because of all these people that i've met i wanted to tell their stories just like how that teacher the maths teacher i'd love if i ever could meet her again to thank Mm. her as you know she she doesn't know how much she helped change my life yeah and so i want to tell other people's stories so they can help change someone else's Mm -hmm. life because what might happen what might resonate to someone from my story might not resonate to someone else what someone hears from your story Mm -hmm. they, they will resonate with that and someone else might not resonate yeah definitely i think all our journeys even though they overlap quite a lot they are all very individualistic at the same time yeah um and so you know you can speak to some people who have the same symptoms as you or the same medication and that really makes sense for you and then you hear other stories and you're like okay well it's not like my story but it's actually really good to hear those as well yes yeah and I and I like that also because I met a lot of people who got their symptoms later in life Mm -hmm. and I always find those um stories quite fascinating as well because they got to always say to them it's interesting and it must be harder for them i'm not saying it's easy for anyone who has narcolepsy as a child or anything like that especially like kids that didn't have it and then got it because of like the the vaccine and things like that that was me yeah (laughs) Ah, so you're one of the vaccine vaccine, baby (laughs) so yeah so it, it does make things a bit different but i i just wanted to I just had brain fog. It's completely blank now. Oh, so you're <laughs> saying how good it is to like connect people, even when your stories are quite different. Oh yes. And the people who got narcolepsy later on in life. Yes. So the people who got narcolepsy later in life, I feel that it must be harder for them. So mm-hmm. say you had you you were a mother and you had your kids and, and you had a, a really good job and you bought a house and everything like that, and then all of a sudden like you're like 35 40 years old and mm-hmm. bam you get narcolepsy yeah, that's, that's really horrible like, yeah because they would remember life before yeah, narcolepsy yeah, very like you clearly had a really great life mm-hmm. and you were building your life you're enjoying life and then bam this yeah. illness just came and took over yeah you lost your job you you know everything you lost your changes. income everything changes mm-hmm. your family might not be not understand and they might not want to be i've heard so many stories of people who this has happened to and then their family doesn't get on board and doesn't understand or mm. can't be bothered to understand or can't they're oh why, why don't they pull up their pants why don't mm-hmm. they work hard or whatever oh you yeah. were working so hard before you were so successful before why couldn't you do anything now and it's mm. like why calm down like hey yeah they just think it's being exaggerated or yeah. it's all in their head <sighs> this kind of leads me on to my next question which i like asking people which is if you could press a red button and get rid of narcolepsy would you do it and why that's such a hard question now it should be really easy it really should be easy it should be like you saying to someone who's blind do you want sight and they're like yes but before i had narcolepsy i wanted to be a lawyer and i'm sure i would have been a very great lawyer (laughs) i think you would have but i think having narcolepsy has opened my empathy like radar into a different way Mm -hmm. I have used those skills that I think I would have used like to be a lawyer to advocate and to like really help people in a different way. Yeah. So in one aspect, yes, I want to press the red button and say mm-hmm. no narcolepsy and then just be able to be normal and sleep normal hours and mm-hmm. and just really get on with life and 
everything else. But I think I have accomplished so much in still pushing myself and still continuing to push myself when really I could just stay at home and just not bother and mm-hmm. not do anything because that's what my body wants. But yeah. I still, because I feel validation from achieving things, I still push myself to, to do things out of the box and to achieve more things. So yeah. I think maybe not. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I completely agree, though, that I think having narcolepsy or any kind of long-term health condition or illness gives you an extra level of empathy that maybe people who are uh, very able-bodied don't have or don't naturally have as easily because we know how hard it can be for ourselves. We we can extend that empathy to other people as well. Um, And I also think, like you said, it, it makes you very resilient because you face so many challenges in life with a health condition that you you have to repeatedly get back up and you have to every day you face obstacles yes and I think that's something we can all be really proud of you know it's not always easy sometimes it's incredibly hard yeah um but most of us try our best and yeah we've we've got things from narcolepsy that we might not have got if we were yeah able-bodied yeah so is there anything else that you're grateful for where from having this condition I'm grateful for the community that I have um, got to know, the incredible people that I've got to know. I would never have met these people otherwise, Mm. never. There would never been any chance that I could have Mm -hmm. met these people, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really special as well. And they've enriched my life. Yeah. Yeah, like the people I've met since I started Naps for Life and people that I met, like you, Liz, and other people I've met through Narcolepsy UK, I would have never met them mm. otherwise and they have made such a difference and were put in my life like for a special reason and, and a lot really helped me get me through COVID like mm-hmm. I don't think I would have got through COVID without it because yeah. I didn't have that support from church mm. and without those people in that group mm-hmm. like just being able to go and talk to people every week it's like therapy yeah that I'm not paying for like, yeah. you know? <laughs> I can imagine that it's really nice I need to join the groups more often I always say I'm gonna do it and then I'm always like napping on the sofa but yeah having that community really makes a difference mm. I always say to people come even and be your pajamas and nap anyway because like I remember when I just started naps for life I used to come on with makeup and a wig and stuff like that mm-hmm. and, oh my gosh it, 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 like maybe t- it took like two or three months and I was like sod this it's crazy I don't need to do this <laughs> and now we're both wearing like stretchy leggings yeah. and comfy jumpers, jumpers yeah no like, makeup no, yeah because oh my gosh what 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 act am I putting on mm-hmm. these people are suffering the same as me yeah I don't need to put on a front here yeah we do that in like you know the real world, world. out there yeah but... I was like no I need to come in, in bed like... <laughs> yeah with the blanket around yeah, exactly you. and it made other people feel more comfortable to come in bed or people I'd be eating on things mm-hmm. or washing the dishes while because I feel like I need to multitask yeah so yeah, I need to put the washing out while I'm on the Zoom. I can't wait until the Zoom is finished to put the washing out. No, I need to, because then I'll be too tired. Yeah. So I need to wash the dishes and Zoom together or mm-hmm. eat and Zoom or, yeah, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. We've got like, yeah, 2% battery left. So we need to yeah. <laughs> just combine those activities. And the amount of times I have fallen asleep as a host. <laughs> 
so many times. <laughs> I love that though. It's probably the only meeting, Zoom meeting that you can be in and fall asleep where people won't get offended. Yeah. Because they're like, I understand you. Yeah. <laughs> like sometimes if I'm ahead of thing, I see I'm sleeping, I'll make someone else host. But I love the time completely like out of it. Wake. I've had times where I've woken up and the Zoom meeting has been finished. Oh, no. And I'm like, what happened? <laughs> when did it end? <laughs> Where is everybody? Yeah, how long have I been asleep for? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. That's what makes you a great host, though. You're very relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, so if there is anyone listening that doesn't have narcolepsy, is there anything that you would want them to know about narcolepsy? I would like everyone who does have narcolepsy to know that the television, Hollywood, and any media outlet does not give a accurate description or view of narcolepsy. There's probably four or five max publications that actually give an accurate description of narcolepsy, which mm-hmm. is extremely sad. Yeah. So it's put in as jokes and all these other things, and this is not the reality for someone who's living with narcolepsy. Mm-hmm. Sleep is not our only thing that we're dealing with. We're dealing with paralysis. We're dealing with hallucinations, vivid dreams. We're we're dealing with brain fog, uh, memory loss, mm-hmm. you know, cognitive issues. Like there's so much stuff and, and medication side effects. Yeah, as well. uh, yeah, and medication side effects on top of that. So it's not just like this little thing, hallucinations. Having narcolepsy made me have so much empathy for people who have schizophrenia <clears throat> because I started to realise what it's like. Imagine when someone has schizophrenia and they say stuff like, oh, I'm hearing voices or whatever. And sometimes you do hear voices mm-hmm. or hear the door knock and then you go to the door, there's no one there mm-hmm. and things like that. Things that you wouldn't want to share with other people because they think that you're a bit nuts, but you're not nuts. Something's happening in your brain. It's chemical imbalance, hormone imbalance. You not having having these hormones behave like they're supposed to mm-hmm. it's actually happening this is not a feeling this is not a mental thing but it does affect you mentally because of the way that people treat you the way that people you know accept you the way that people think that it's a joke and mm-hmm. it's not and you know you wouldn't treat someone like that if they had if they were in a wheelchair or if they were blind or if they were deaf or if you know they had one arm you'd never treat them that way and so you shouldn't treat someone who has a disability that you can't physically see all the time you shouldn't treat them differently yeah definitely um did i tell you about my recent uh experience with someone at elido that i went to no i might have said it on the podcast um episode i did with you earlier so i went to swim in elido that i usually swim in and i said to the woman um oh, can I get the disability discount because they do concessions for people with disabilities? And I said, I've got a hidden disability, um, narcolepsy. And she was like, oh, you've got narcolepsy. Is it safe for you to swim? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, yeah, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't safe for me to swim by myself. Like I'm a grown adult, like I know my boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she was like, oh, sorry, it's just because, um, have you seen Moulin Rouge? There's someone with narcolepsy in that, and it's hilarious. They literally just fall to the floor all the time. And I just thought, oh, I <laughs> can't believe you just said that to me after I said mm-hmm. I have narcolepsy. It's just, I mean, she probably didn't think about it. She didn't think about the effect of that. But mm-hmm. I was like, so you were telling me that 
my health condition is funny. funny. <laughs> yeah. I didn't say anything. I was just like, hmm, yeah. And then sort of moved on. But it's just, it is frustrating when you have interactions like that on a regular basis because um, you are constantly having to like educate other people and explain yourself. And it's like, actually, you know, that shouldn't be my job to do that. There should be more awareness in yes. general of this yeah, condition. Definitely. And also, just better representation of it in the media stop putting out yeah like you said um poor representation or um inaccurate portrayals of it yeah i wish there was a way that we could stop that some legal way that we could stop them doing that because i they wouldn't do this if someone if you wanted to do a, a um if someone had a heart condition you wanted to do uh, a movie on someone with a heart condition you'd research the heart condition so much you would go and find people who had the heart condition you sit down with them you'd follow them around you'd ask them so many questions you'd like literally want to become a part you know absorb yourself into their life mm -hmm. so that you could f try to feel what they were feeling yeah. why don't they do that for the people with narcolepsy Before, i guess because they, they just it. can't be bothered no yeah. they just think, oh this looks funny let's add mm -hmm. it to our film yeah oh. yeah literally i also had a friend a friend's partner once say to me because um, I was talking about my narcolepsy. It was just in a really casual setting. And she was a nurse. And she was like, oh, yeah, it was really funny. Uh, we used to have a patient with narcolepsy, and I guess cataplexy. And, yeah, she would get, like, really annoyed at us, like, for random reasons, and then just pass out. And it was hilarious. I was like, oh, no, that's a terrible thing to say to, say, to me. And yeah, also exactly. worrying that you're in healthcare. Yeah, exactly. Very worrying that you're in healthcare. Yeah. But just like the lack of awareness some people have when they talk to you about after you say you have a health condition, you know, and then how they respond. It's like, that's yeah. not the best way to yeah. Yeah, think that, that just by telling them, they would think, okay, I should be really empathetic. Mm -hmm. Now I should start. Whatever I was thinking before, I probably shouldn't say this. Mm -hmm. I should find another way to say this, say this in a more kind way, because they just told me that it's a serious thing. Mm. But somehow that doesn't compute. No, they just think of like the falling asleep and they're like, haha, that's yeah, funny. That's funny, yeah. But not for us. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, um, I was going to say coming on the podcast, but it's your podcast. So. Yes. But yeah, <laughs> thanks for letting me join you today. Thank you for hosting. It was really nice to hear your story, and I'm sure um, everyone listening will, yeah, be very happy to know more about you. Yes, I'm glad. So that's good. Cool. All right. Thanks so much. Bye, everyone. Bye. Views and opinions in these stories may not work for everyone. If anything you have heard is relatable, please see a doctor for advice. Thank you for spending time here with us at Narcolepsy Navigators. I hope you learned something new. Please share the podcast with others. You can find us on all platforms. See you next time when we delve into another person's story.